him laugh, make him laugh. Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather. In the end, you just want to know that laughing matters. From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500, humor makes the world go round. You didn't know? It's a fit for a throw, like a roll with spaghetti. To keep your culture light when times are heavy. So sit back and relax as you raise the bar. When it all comes down to the ha, ha, ha. Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh. Welcome to another edition of Laughing Matters. We believe it's a podcast like no other you'll hear. And after you listen to it, you probably won't want to hear it ever again. Um, and Laughing Matters, we um, we dive into the power of humor and laughter in a business world and a society that are sorely lacking both. And we speak to leaders from all walks of life to ask them how they are incorporating humor to take the edge off and, and cope with all the darkness that uh, that surrounds us. So um, I'm your host, Steve Cody. I'm the CEO of Peppercom, named in honor of my late great Black Lab Pepper. And I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Senior Vice President Paul the Maestro Mershon. Paul. Thank you for adding Maestro in there, Steve. I feel like I need another moniker. I haven't had, you know, I used to record rap back in the day, you know, when I was in high school and in college, and I, never, I haven't had a good name like that in a while, so you just coined one. Thank you for that, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, anytime, Maestro, anytime. So, yeah. so our guest today is an award-winning publicist and former radio reporter, reporter, sorry, in the Big Apple, and national media markets as well over the course of his PR career. This gentleman has represented clients, including Larry Silverstein from the World Trade Center, the New York Post, and the Wall Street Journal, Friends of the High Line, one of my all-time favorite places to run and to hang out. He's also the architect of the PR strategy behind the acquisition of the Space Shuttle Enterprise by the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum in 2012. That's quite the coup. And, and we're going to dive into this one a little bit. I'm a recovering Catholic. So you also helped orchestrate the first ever visit by a sitting pope, as opposed to a standing, walking, or kneeling pope, I'm assuming, to an American synagogue in 2008. His current clients at his firm, Austin Williams, span healthcare, higher ed, financial services, and real estate. He's also the host of his own show, The PR Podcast, which I highly recommend you listen to. It's outstanding. He's talked to uh, everyone in our industry, uh, from CCO to CMO to receptionist to street people, um, to get to their strategies, best practices, et cetera. Please welcome Jody Fisher to Laughing Matters. Thank you, Jody. Steve, Paul, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I, I want to start off because we do have several things in common. Number one, I actually started my um, uh, ill-fated career in radio. I was uh, I uh, was on the air five times a day with uh, the renowned WGCH um, uh, 1490 radio in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I also was a, a writer for CBS News Radio in Boston. And um, I, I found it was just an incredible, incredible experience. I didn't care for uh the cynicism, uh, the world weariness of journalists, but I found that the um, the discipline of writing um, on deadline and uh, having the opportunity to interview um, local newsmakers, celebrities, sports uh, stars, et cetera, was phenomenal. Can you talk to us about your beginnings in radio and, and the, the transition into PR? Yeah, sure. I mean, radio was where I started out, and it was sort of what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I went to college uh, at Fordham University up in the Bronx, but I say that I graduated from WFUV, which is the public radio station there. I was in there every day, five days a week for four years on mic, terrific training ground, uh, and taught me really, as you said, how to write on deadline, how to prioritize stories, how to figure out what's important and what's not. 
um, and how to do all of that in a very professional manner from a very early age. So by the time I got out of there after four years, very comfortable behind the mic understood what goes on in the newsroom um, and and walked right into jobs at 1010 wins and WCBS radio among others so it was it was really a terrific experience and then you take that and you you learn from those professionals at those stations which are the premier all news radio stations in the country with the best in the industry and they teach you even more about how it is done and how it is done right um, and I feel like looking back, you know, the, for the last 20 years in PR, that experience in radio and in media and in newsrooms and on the street as a reporter helps me now in my public relations career. What, was it an easy transition? It uh, it kind of was, um, you know, it's those transferable skills. Um, you know, you're, you're still doing the same thing. You're just kind of doing it in negative. You're doing it from the other side of the desk, so to speak, but you understand what the people who are sitting there in the newsroom need to do their job. And, and I've often described to, to my job as having two sets of clients. My one client are the people I represent, the people who pay me, the people whose stories I tell, but the other set of clients I have are the, the the reporters and the editors and the producers who I'm working with to help them do their job, right? It's it's not that I'm sacrificing my client's story to help a reporter do their job, but what I am doing is delivering the, the client's story in a way that the reporter can do something with it and to represent them positively, proactively, truthfully, heavy emphasis on the truth, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but to make sure that, you know, I'm managing those two and in the spirit of your podcast here, uh, Paul and Steve, um, to do it with a sense of humor too. you know, to do it with an understanding that everybody's under pressure, everybody's under deadlines. And, you know, if you can bring a little bit, uh, a little sense of personality or a sense of humor along with it, that helps tremendously. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about that, Jody, because I mean, you you started what was it like in the in the uh, '90s, right? In in uh, in radio, right? And so that must have been an interesting time to do like radio news reporting, like boots on the ground in New York City. And I wondered if you had any particular stories of you were covering a, a news story that might have been serious, but you took a lighthearted approach to it. I'm sure you had a ton of them, but any in particular come to mind to you? Absolutely. The ones that come to mind are always what we refer to as MOS, right? The man on the street stuff where there's a news story out there. And and since there's sometimes it's there's nothing else going on. <laughs> OK, let's go do MOS on this breaking story. Right. And you go out and you talk to taxi cab drivers. You talk to people. If you're on the 4A shift, you're talking to, to people who are filtering out at clubs at four o'clock in the morning in Manhattan. Um, you're talking to people on Long Island Railroad platforms. You're talking to people coming out of Dunkin Donuts, getting their donut and their coffee. Um, you're really getting a pulse. Uh, of what's going on out there. And boy, those can be some of the best sound bites you've ever run into. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, I also think even though we, we joked just now that it's kind of, there's nothing going on, that is also sort of real news in a way because you are getting a feel for what people think of the news. You know, sometimes we in, in PR and in the news business, we live in this bubble, right? We think what's going on in the newsroom or what the product is that we're pushing out, whether it's radio, TV, print, whatever, that that's the most important thing. And it's what people are receiving. And we're seeing this an awful lot now um, in, 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 in society, uh, especially the last four years, sort of the polarization of, of news uh, and fact. Um, you're getting a pulse for, for what people think of the information that they're receiving. So the MOS, I always loved. And in fact, it was the MOS, one particular MOS story that led me to say, 
gee, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> I got to go do something else. So which, it's, which, guess which story was that? I was curious. Which yeah, story? It was. It was. I remember it. I remember it distinctly. It was. Um, it was the the Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky story. And uh, I was I went up to a Long Island Railroad platform because I was a Long Island radio reporter for WCBS radio. So I went to a Long Island radio, uh, Long Island Railroad station platform at five o'clock in the morning to get MOS. Uh, I collect all my tape and I park myself behind a Dunkin Donuts on Sunrise Highway and I'm staring at a dumpster. Uh, The sun is coming up. I've got my second glazed donut with my cup of coffee steaming up the windshield. I'm ready to go live with my bag phone held to my ear. And I think to myself, this is going to be the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that I can do this. Uh, And so I pivoted to public relations very shortly after. So that, that was an awakening. It it was. And look, I'm not knocking it. I mean, the 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 AM reporters are are the best in the business, right? They are the people who just they eat red meat for a living. They get up at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. They're out in the street. And I'm talking about the street reporters, too. You know, the John Montones uh, who who, John just retired, you know, but the uh, folks who I learned from like Stan Brooks and Rich Lamb and uh, going back, Lou Miliano, a fantastic reporter for WCBS radio. Um, These are men and women and Juliet Papa, uh, Carol Dioria. You know, these are people in the street. They are hunting down stories. They are doing the work. Um, They are. And, and, you know, we're just past September 11th here. They are running into danger sometimes. And I'll tell you, I never missed uh, radio less than on September 11th because I would have been down there myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their their um, heroism, especially, you know, whether it's um, you know, global climate change and walking into the middle of a hurricane tornado or, you know, you know, covering what's going on in Kabul. I mean, I mean, it's just it's a whole nother world, obviously. Um I and I got to sh- I got to shout out to real quick the yeah. photojournalists, the photojournalists yes. and the videographers. Also, it's not just the reporters, not the faces you see or the voices that you hear. When you see a war photo, when you see some amazing photo, and we just saw this in Afghanistan with what went on at the airport there, you saw all those amazing photos. There was someone who was in harm's way who took that photo. You got to take your hat off to those people. Oh, no, no question. I mean, the the one of the baby being handed over the uh, the, the wall, I think, is the iconic one. Um, but I completely agree with that's a different class of journalists, you know, entirely um, just switching topics, because I, I find this so fascinating as a recovering Catholic and one time altar boy. Um, so so give me the background. Was it 2012 when you um, arranged for Pope Benedict to visit, uh, become the first pope to visit an American synagogue? Can you just give us the background on that? Yeah, so I, I did. I ran the PR on that with a with a former coworker of mine, uh, Howard Cannon, who used to be a Bloomberg guy. Okay. Uh, Howard and I both worked together at Rubenstein Communications uh, for the great Howard Rubenstein. Sure. Um, some of the, the most wonderful years that I spent in public relations. Um, we had a client uh, that was the Parkey Synagogue and the rabbi who was there. Um, he, through his connections, had arranged for the Pope to come to his synagogue on one of his trips to the U.S. So, you know, when the Pope comes to New York, it is a big deal. I mean, this is U.N. week as we're taping this, right? Another gridlock week in Manhattan. But mm-hmm. Sort of that this when whenever a pope comes to the United States, big deal, especially for the Catholic community and lots of resources get thrown at it. Um, so there I am getting tasked with running the PR for this event where the pope is going to visit the synagogue, an historical event. 
and also an event where we're working with Secret Service and NYPD uh, and, and you name the law enforcement agency. And so we've got to create this event that's going to happen uh, inside this synagogue, beautiful synagogue on the east side of Manhattan. Um, lots of, as I alluded to, logistical issues. Um, but the critical moment was getting the photo of um, the rabbi and the pope walking up the aisle uh, with the beautiful stained glass window in the back of the synagogue. Uh, and I remember distinctly um, negotiating with Secret Service, first of all, just to be on the floor because it was a security issue for any of us to even be within 10 feet of the pope, right? Um, and Secret Service, by the way, love those guys and girls. They're awesome. They're terrific people to work with. Um, so long story short, negotiate to be standing at the head of the altar as the pope and the rabbi walk up. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this guy's 80 years old, right? How fast can he possibly walk? And I had a very large Secret Service agent standing behind me and he said, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to get your photo. And if you're not out of here in 10 seconds, I'm moving you. I said, okay, fine. So there I am with my AP photographer on the floor. We're ready to go. The door opens, the rabbi and the Pope start walking up and wouldn't you know, they're doing about 90 miles an hour up that alt, uh, up that, uh, that aisle. I could not believe how fast they were moving. And I, and I said, Diane, Diane, take the photo, take the photo. She snapped the photo. And as, as I heard the shutter go off, I feel myself and her both get scooped up by this guy who's like seven feet tall. And he literally lifted us off our feet and moved us out of the way. Um, it was a great photo. I'm sure if you Google it, it's online somewhere. <laughs> it's also the beginning of a great joke, a pope and a rabbi and somebody else walk into a synagogue, right? There and you Jody go. And Jody uh, a pope, a rabbi, and a PR guy walk into a synagogue. There you go. So is that one of the highlights of your career, would you the, say? Uh, it, it was definitely one. You know, you mentioned uh, Friends of the Highline and the work that I did for them. I just, I absolutely love the... Uh, the founders of the Friends of the Highline, they were so visionary. You know, talk about rolling a rock uphill. Those guys did it, um, and they did it with enormous success, and the entire city eventually got behind them. And once the, I think everybody saw their vision, just totally jumped on board. In fact, it's funny, uh, uh, just today a Facebook memory came up in my Facebook feed, you know, those wonderful memories that usually show up and, and they're usually completely worthless. Um, but this particular one popped up and we were dedicating, or I'm sorry, we were, we were kicking off construction for the third section of the High Line. I think it was eight, eight or so years ago today. So wonderful memory there. We were, we were scattering seeds with Michael Bloomberg and Diane von Furstenberg and a bunch of other people. Um, High Line was great, but I'm a super geek too. Um, and, and the, the, the enterprise campaign at the Intrepid Sea Air and Space Museum was just amazing, just amazing to work on from soup to nuts from the, from the moment that we got that phone call from the Intrepid where they said, NASA's giving away their space shuttles. We need one, not, we want one, we need one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that kicked off, uh, I think it was about a two, two and a half year campaign to actually first convince NASA that a space shuttle belonged in New York City. And then second of all, to actually get it, to physically get it here, to get it put up on that deck, um, to get it on display and to, to open that up. It was just, just wonderful. I got to, I got to meet all the classic astronauts, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, just wonderful, wonderful, a wonderful experience. I got to climb inside of the space shuttle. It was very, very cool. I, I can go for days.
No, that's got to be the coolest uh, museum in, in the city. I mean, I, I would go there as, as a kid, and uh, I, I remember going there actually with this, with the space shuttle and seeing it as well. So I'm glad to hear. I, I know somebody who orchestrated that, but it's it's a it's a great treat for anybody in New York. If you haven't been to Intrepid, man, you should you should go there. Seriously. My favorite story to tell about that was the day that we floated the uh, the space shuttle up the river on a barge. You know, big media event. You've got the the fireboats shooting the sprays, the red, white, and blue sprays. You've got an enormous, like, 100 million pound crane that's going to pick this thing up and put it on the deck of the aircraft carrier. Um, but we we go through all of that. It was an entire day of operations and public relations and, you know, reporters and everything. It was just fabulous. Incredibly successful from a PR perspective. But the thing I loved the most was when I went home and I woke up the next morning and I went on YouTube and I just put in Space Shuttle Enterprise New York. And I got a whole bunch of videos that came back of moms and dads who had brought their kids out to stand on the riverbank and watch the space shuttle float up the river. And you yes. could hear the audio track of a parent and a child watching this and experiencing it this together. That is what true PR is. That's what that's what storytelling is. That's what we do. We don't just put out press releases. We don't just represent corporate clients. We do. We do that. And that's part of the job. But the real impact that we have is the storytelling and the stuff that really changes people's lives. And that touched me in a way that I've never forgotten. Oh, I'm sure that's an indelible moment in so many kids, you know, synapses from now, from then till now and long into the future. Paul? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I, Steve, I know you had some thoughts on on St. John's. Well, I, I wanted to touch base on uh, this. Oh yeah. Uh, my, so my son, my yeah. son teaches history at St. John's. I know you. Were you like an adjunct, or what'd you do with the Johns? I was. So that was my that was my first PR job after I left uh, radio. I was there for six years, uh, and it was right when they were on their Queens campus, yep. uh, opening up residence halls. So they're going through an incredible transformation at the time. So they were building lots of stuff. They were changing a lot of programs. Uh, I only peripherally involved in the athletics. I was there during the Jarvis years, which were okay. some, some challenging years. Yeah. Um, but also developed a wonderful relationship with Luke Carnesecca, who is just one of the greatest human beings you'll ever meet. Yes. Um, and actually spent some time with him. There was a, the St. John's had a campus in Rome as well. And so made a trip over there for the graduation ceremony that they had. And um, I got Lou and I spent a day going around Rome together. Well, you've never had a better time than ducking into all these local haunts that Lou has in Rome uh, than with than with Lou Carnesecca. It was just a phenomenal day. You've got quite the Italian connection going, Jody. <laughs> well, it's my wife. She's Sicilian, you know. I mean, it's, yeah, you get in that club and okay. that's that's cool. it. Deal. Well, seal. We, better, we better treat you well now that we know that your wife's Sicilian. <laughs> hey, hey, Jody. Uh, so being at St. John's for a while, I mean, this is one thing that we were thinking about as far as academia is concerned, because you might have heard that Stanford University actually requires comedy for all of its MBA students. And, you know, coming from that, you know, work in academia that you have, wanted to see what you thought. If, if you think that kind of training is going to help college students and young professionals in the long run and how, I mean, obviously at Laughing Matters, we think that something like that is, is necessary uh, to, to really succeed, I think, uh, long term in business and kind of keep your mindset right. Uh, what do you think about something like that? You think that will be adopted? What are the benefits of that? I think it's I think it's fantastic. I actually listened back to a few episodes of, of the podcast before I, I came on. Um, and I think that is a great idea. And I think every 
um, I think every college should be requiring that for any degree, because I think that those interpersonal skills are so important. You know, there's that adage that you do business with people you like, right? Yep. Well, well, anything that helps you make a connection with the people you're going to do business with, or even the people you're just friends with, right? You people do business with those people that they like. And, and if you can tell stories and you can find ways to build bridges um, and you can get that human connection with other people, man, that is so important. And you will do so much better in your in business and in life. You will find, you know, if there's a secret to happiness, the relationships is it. And and if you can if you can do that, you'll be so much better off. I love that concept. Hey, Jody, just, um, you know, in terms of laughing matters and, you know, the the um, the reason for this podcast, I mean, going back to your kindergarten days, if you like, um, is is there one moment that stands out that when you look back at the time it was, oh, I can't believe that just happened. But now you're able to look back and just laugh out loud about it, whether it's school or work or walking down the aisle with a pope and a rabbi. How much time do you have? Oh my goodness. Are you kidding? Look, there's what's what's the adage if you're not making mistakes, you're not doing much? Right. Right? I mean, we I mean, PR people, people in general, anyone who's trying to accomplish something, you're making mistakes left and right and you're learning from those mistakes. Um, boy, I love I love being put on the spot because I always come up blank, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as as PR people, we yeah. we we talk a lot. Of, we represent our clients, right? And sure. so we know our clients inside and out. I find that when it comes to talk about myself, I'm just uh, like a deer in the headlights. Um, let's see. It's, oh boy. Well, I'll share one with you. So, Go so ahead. we're in the middle of a um, a new business presentation with Yahoo, and we're killing it. We're killing it, and we're walking them through this whole program, and we're saying we're going to be going from Denver to Chicago, and in the middle of it, the prospective client says, you do know you're using Google Maps. And I was, yeah, it was, the silence was deafening, and I said, we just wanted to see if you'd still be paying attention at this point. <laughs> wow, that's good. All right, so go ahead. No, no, that we actually salvaged. We actually salvaged it and and won the pitch. But go ahead. I hope that helps. That actually rings a bell. Okay. okay. Or, or jogs my memory. So I'm representing um, the New York Post, uh, and and Howard Rubenstein, my old boss, has a long-standing relationship with Rupert Murdoch. So here I am at a conference room at thirteen, uh, at, at, at twelve sixty. What was it? Twelve sixty-six. Wherever the post offices were on Avenue of the Americas, mm -hmm. uh, in a big conference room, and myself and a couple of my colleagues and several people from News Corp. And there's Rupert Murdoch sitting at the center of the table, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I'm digesting. And it's you know it's a long meeting. It's a little warm in the room, and all of a sudden I hear Mr. Murdoch's voice. And he says, excuse me, are you still with us? And I realize I've been staring out the window for 45. <laughs> like, I, I just wanted to crawl under the table. It's beautiful. Oh, it beautiful. was the worst. So ever since then, whenever I go into a, a room with a window, I sit with my back to it. So I see learning lesson, right? We learn from our mistakes. Oh, boy. <laughs> that, that's a good. That's got to be one of my worst nightmares is to be caught daydreaming in a meeting. <laughs> We actually had a guy who fell asleep routinely in the middle of meetings. He didn't last too long. That was me, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I definitely I definitely learned from my mistakes. We, we all do. One more Paul, question I, I have for you, Jody. Yeah. Yeah, one on. more question I have for you. Um, and you obviously told us about one of your personal cringeworthy moments. But 
now thinking more on the positive side and using humor. Um, and you've given us some examples, some great work that you've done. Has there been any particular anecdotes of, that you've had of using humor with your clients, whether past or current, that you could share? Uh, again, it's lightheartedness, levity, anything that kind of takes a really serious situation and kind of makes it a little more easy. Any, anything you can think of? Well, I think we, um, uh, maybe something will, will specific will come around, but I think we use humor all day long. I think we have to, right? Um, you know, we deal with some very, we can be dealing with some very serious subjects. Um, you know, whether it's, it's just serious to a business or whether it's actually life and death. Um, you know, I've represented lots of, of, uh, nonprofits and charities that deal with, you know, life and death, things like, uh, leukemia lymphoma society. Uh, I've worked with, uh, charities like, uh, Fisher house foundation that provides, uh, housing for the families of military members who are undergoing, uh, treatment at hospitals. Uh, very, very serious stuff. Uh, and I had a colleague uh, back at St. John's who used to uh, respond to the concept of a crisis uh, walking into a room and he would ask, is anybody dead? If nobody's dead, we're all going to be fine. And then maybe that was his way of, of sort of lightening the mood, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's so true. I think if you can tap into humor and tap into our shared human condition, we'll do far better working together than we would otherwise. Um, you know, understanding that reporters have their agenda and the client has their agenda and the PR person has their agenda in between. Um, if we can tap into that, that um, acknowledgement that we're all in this together and, you know, crack a joke or, or have some fun or say, you know, this is, we're, we're all gonna get through this together. I think, I think we'll be just fine. I think that's a great way to, to wrap it up, Jody. I really, A, I appreciate you spending this time with us and sharing your stories, um, but you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, we are all going through, every single one of us is going through, you know, our own difficult times. And if we can find a way to, to laugh or smile, it'll just make it that much easier to get through each, each passing day. So I just, again, I wanted to thank you so much, Jody Fisher host of the PR podcast, mega, mega star at Austin Williams, and um, just one of my all-time favorite new friends. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank Paul. you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Jody, thanks. Thanks for joining us from your from your garage. And from your garage. Hope, it, hope it, you keep making some hits from there, you know, get on GarageBand, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Paul does some some garage work on the weekends, Jody. So you may want to have a separate combo with him. Oh, please come on over. You're, there's always room in the PR garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Jody. This is uh, Steve Cody on behalf of uh, Paul, the maestro Mershon, signing off for yet another edition of Laughing Matters. <laughs>